Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. Hello! Welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm discussing stages of change, motivational interviewing, and how to have more successful New Year's resolutions. There's lots of chatter out there about New Year's resolutions failing a whole lot. And I don't think it needs to be that way. I think a big part of why people's New Year's resolutions fail is because we weren't taught the process of change. Motivational interviewing and stages of change are counseling theories. And these theories can help you understand yourself and your own change patterns We need to understand our resistances to be able to avoid our pitfalls and set ourselves up for success. This is a way to help ourselves be more honest with ourselves about where we are and what we really want and can help us communicate and relate more honestly within our relationships. In many ways, in our relationship with ourselves and our relationships with other people, particularly a significant other, we're sort of, whether we like it or not, either stepping towards trusting each other more or mistrust. Honesty about where we are in the process of our own change can help us better communicate. How many fights and frustrations have you had with yourself and other people about either yourself or someone else promising to change or promising to do something and then it just falls to the wayside? So understanding this process, I hope, from this episode will help you take a lot of frustration out of relating to yourself and other people and be able to be more honest with yourself about where you are. Before I dive into these stages of change, I want to ask you to think about something that you've struggled to change but have successfully changed to help you process what I'm about to share and help you understand how you yourself have gone through these stages even when you didn't realize it. Maybe for you that's quitting smoking cigarettes. If you've ever gone from marriage to divorce, that is quite the change process that happens over months or years or maybe even decades. Deciding to quit a job is a whole change process. 
deciding to start a business. We can even understand these processes of change by considering something a whole lot smaller, like deciding to cut off your hair into a super short style or changing diet or exercise. And those have to be the biggest things that we tend to commit to when the new year presents itself. So let's get into these stages of change so that we can understand ourselves as as we set up our resolutions, as we really consider what we want for ourselves with 2020. So pre-contemplation is the very first stage of change. Now we're contemplating, but we're in pre-contemplation. So what does that mean? This is really the stage where we're really thinking about it, but it's like an idea is just starting to form. There might be whispers within ourselves or that someone else is bringing to us, like little whispers of something needs to happen here. I might not know what or how or what exactly it is I need to change or need to focus on, but I know something needs doing. Something needs something to shift. I might not be excited or on fire about actually changing my behavior And if someone asks me, or if I think inside my own head, I might even say to myself, there's no problem, it's fine. But it's sort of like the problem is sort of lurking and maybe starting to every now and then tap us on the shoulder. As we move from this pre-contemplation stage, the next is contemplation. And in contemplation, we're aware that a problem exists. There's no commitment to action yet. But we're starting to warm up to, all right, there might really be a problem here. So there's more intentional consideration. It's starting to take shape. Now, I just went to a glass blowing class for the very first time in my life. And as I'm sitting here looking at my notes for this episode, I can sort of see this process even in the glass blowing that I just experienced for the first time. You know, there's a point in that glass making process where there is just a blob. You don't really know what it's going to turn into or what it's going to be. And it's almost like this pre-contemplation phase. And as the idea starts to form, it's like, ooh, this glass is starting to form into a shape. Now, whether that's a cup or an ornament like I made, but it's starting to form this shape. And we know, okay, I want this shape to form. So in contemplation, as we're facing change, it's kind of like the stage where our evidence is building within ourselves or in our world. Now, after contemplation, we go to preparation. In the preparation stage of change, we're feeling more intent on taking action. There's a willingness and there's a motivation to become actionable to address the problem. Now we're not becoming actionable yet, but we know action is coming and we're willing. This is the stage where we're really wrapping our heads around change coming, that we're inviting it in and we're more ready than ever. We ask a lot of what questions in the preparation phase. What can I do? What can be done? What am I willing to do? What am I not willing to do? We're preparing for the next stage, which is action. Now, the interesting thing for me when I review this material is that I know that most coaches 
want to work with people in the action phase. To people who don't have a therapeutic clinical background in mental health, coaches want to work with people when they're ready to be actionable. That's why they screen. That's why I'm an outlier of a coach, because I'm willing to work with people. And I'm very skilled with working with people in the preparation phase. I'm skilled with helping take people through pre-contemplation and contemplation so that they can face the action that they need to face to create the life that they want or to clear out whatever problem has been lurking. In the action phase, we're ready to modify ourselves. We're ready to do what needs doing. This is the space where we work on it. When somebody says, I'm working on it, they're actionable. And that might be a lot of our frustration with ourselves and with other people. Because lots of people will say to avoid uncomfortableness, I call it squirming. A lot of people will say, yeah, 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 I'm working on it. And that has become sort of a way to shirk action. We're not working on it when we're preparing We're not working on it when we're contemplating, and we're certainly not working on it when we're in pre-contemplation. But it can feel like it because it is a certain kind of work to be thinking through and feeling through this process. But if I look at another human being and I say, I'm working on it, and they want me to do something or they need something for me, it's not going to mean much to them that I'm not in the action phase yet. So a lot of our arguments in relationship, maybe even with ourselves, is that we're saying we're working on it when we're not really working on it yet. So it might be a very simple, seemingly tiny correction that can hold a lot of power. Because if I look at my partner and he says, hey, you promised to clean the kitchen and you haven't done it yet. If I'm sitting on the sofa watching TV, I don't want to look at him and say I'm working on it. But it might work better for me and for him if I more honestly say, I'm preparing to do the kitchen. I'm not quite ready to do that yet, but I am going to get to it in a few hours. I'm preparing. It might not be what he wants to hear from me. He wants me to do it. But it's going to bring up less friction between the two of us because I can stand on my own two feet and own with clarity what's really going on. Instead of flicking the channels on the TV saying I'm working on the kitchen, which isn't really true. And when we're bonding with each other, when we're working on trusting each other, it's not just in the big things like not cheating and staying faithful. It's often in the little moments, like the promise to clean the kitchen, that a lot of our relationship struggle shows up. Because we're not fighting about the kitchen or when it gets done. Often the arguments that hit us as highly sensitive people, as seekers, come from this place that we're not communicating very assertively or accurately. And we can do a better job with that, and it simplifies. It simplifies confusion. It keeps us from being more annoyed at each other than we need to be. And it can actually grow trust and communication. Would you like to relax or fall asleep? while learning about pivotal moments in history? If so, then try my new podcast, Calm History. It's a time machine of tranquility filled with immersive, 
and fascinating stories from history. Prior episodes include The Pilgrims, Marco Polo, Henry Ford, Joan of Arc, Jackie Robinson, Klondike Gold Rush, Ancient Greek Olympics, Easter Island, and the Great Pyramid of Giza. There's also a six-part series about the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. So in this action phase is when we're really ready to change. That may be when you reach out to schedule with a healer, someone like me or someone in your own world or another coach. If you're ready to take a trip, maybe that's when you book the plane ticket or rent the car. When we struggle with anxiety, action can feel so good. Our anxiety feels relieved when we're doing So sometimes we kind of screw ourselves over wanting to hurry up and get to action when we haven't gone through really figuring out what the wisest action is. Now we're creatures of habit. So in changing habits, many of us have heard that it takes 21 days to change a habit. And that may be true for me. It may be true for you. There may be some variance there person to person. During those 21 days, you were in the action phase of change. Now, because we're learned creatures, because we're creatures that have patterns and we get into habits, we move from the action phase into a maintenance phase. Now, in the maintenance phase, we want these new changes to sustain. We want these new behaviors to stay present and practicing. We want the old behavior, like if we're talking about you quitting smoking cigarettes, we want that old behavior to be extinguished. And we want to keep extinguishing that problem and those cravings. And what we're looking for in terms of a maintenance phase is to really get some sustained change for about six months. Now, depending on what I'm working with with a person, if that's addiction, I'm going to look at more like a year. But we want some months underneath our belt in terms of the maintenance phase because we're creatures that have a subconscious. And if we just practice consciously, the moment that we're stressed or that life throws some crazy waves at us, we're going to go back to our default. We practice sustained change in the maintenance phase to help our newness become who we are so that it's not new any longer. And it's really who we are and how we operate. At that moment, there is a shift from it being a conscious thing that we're intentionally trying to do. And our subconscious has reached up, grabbed it and accepted, oh, this is how we operate now. It's why counseling and coaching tends to work best when we extend it well beyond just learning the concepts. Certainly, there are coaches and counselors and people in all professions that milk that because it lines their pockets. We have to be wary and savvy about that. But there's also a very strong argument, especially if you feel like you're getting very good help, to continue with that help so that your subconscious can really grab this newness 
and make it who you are. This is where we become these changes. And these changes become who we are. And that's where growth happens. That's where we level up in our lives. I think because we're so overstressed, because we are pulled in so many directions, I have a lot of empathy and a lot of understanding of why people pull back in the maintenance phase. Like, I've learned it. I've got it. Let's move on to all the other things that are pulling me in life. But that's also why I'll see people come back to me six months or a year later if they didn't stick around for a maintenance phase. So if you're a healing practitioner in the world, it behooves you to learn how to internalize this information and offer it to your clients, not as a slimy sales strategy, but as a way to honestly and with integrity talk about what it takes to internalize change and growth so that the work that you do with people and the work that you do as a client paying people is really, really worth it and sticks. Now, lots of models of change will stop at the maintenance phase. I like to add two more phases to be aware of. And this is probably because I have an addiction specialty. But there are slips and then there are relapses. Now, a slip is when we do just that. We slip. If your goal is to not drink alcohol, do you have a drink? That's a slip. The reason that we call a slip a slip is because of the slippery slope. Because one slip can often lead to another slip and can lead to another slip. And at the bottom of that slippery slope is full-on relapse. But if you're just making a slip because we're human, we're imperfect, we're flawed, we make mistakes, slips are not something to be scared of. Slips are something to really understand about yourself because it is in the slip that the universe shows us exactly where we need to focus our work. And if you can use a little slip to catch yourself and to climb right back up the mountain, that can be a wonderful, beautiful, impactful, powerful learning experience. If you slip and then you just keep sliding down that slippery slope, then I've got to meet you at relapse. And you've got to meet yourself in relapse. And nobody really wants to do that. That's the truth of it, isn't it? And a relapse is just defined as a slipping pattern that returns us to the old behavior that we were trying to extinguish and get away from in the first place. That's a hard place for most of us to be, especially if we're highly sensitive, especially if we're empathic. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves as highly sensitive people to progress in life in a very linear, straight up sort of fashion. That's just another ideal. Life is a little messier than our ideals. So there's this balance. We don't want to give ourselves permission to just slip and slide down the slope. But we want to give ourselves permission to learn from our slips and to pick ourselves up quickly and to learn the lessons that are available to us. If you've experienced a lot of relapse, if you've experienced a lot of giving up on yourself, if you're exhausted, by the change process, you probably just need some more support. Support from yourself and support from external resources in the form of a healer. That's why support groups exist so that there's a place that you can come during your change process 
and stay actionable as you move into maintenance and as you make that change part of who you are. That is the becoming the better person that a lot of us want to be. And whatever that means in a very personal and intimate way. I hope that me going through these very heady concepts of the change process can help you really see where you are with yourself. Don't be part of those awful statistics of New Year's resolutions failing simply because we said, oh, I want to lose 20 pounds when you're really in pre-contemplation or contemplation of that. So what I suggest in using this as a tool is instead of deciding things that you're not ready for as goals, really look at where are you in this change process and maybe make the New Year's resolution to move one or two levels forward. Maybe you go from pre-contemplation to preparation. Maybe you can go from contemplation to action. Maybe you go from preparation to maintenance. This is a way to honor what you really need and where you really are and what's reasonable and achievable and where you want to go next. Thank you for listening. I hope there was something in this episode that you needed, something that helps you in your own becoming. We have a huge goal of growing our Patreon this year. If you would like to listen to the exclusive episodes that are available there for you, or if you would like to submit a question for our next monthly hour-long video live stream, if you'd like to participate in some of the polls that we offer our Patreon participants, please come find us at patreon.com backslash emotional badass. Y'all are the backbone of this show, and we really cannot do it without you, and it helps us keep the show commercial-free. I'm an emotional badass. You're an emotional badass. And together, we are where Moxie meets Mindful in 2020. Thank you so much. Light and love. And I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to Calm History dot com.